We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna And it's first and goal right at the 10. Leans across, and it's a touchdown. He's a first and ten play, and look at Powell breaking out of it. What a run by Powell! They had him twice! And finally, Hyde ends it near the ten. My goodness, the effort of the night by Bilal Powell. Tonight, they've given it away three times. More. As Forte is able to stand up and take it home. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was everyone's favorite uh, toast, burnt toast-loving idiot, Jim Nance from CBS Sports and NFL Network. Wow, ladies and gentlemen. After how excited everyone was last week, last week was our most downloaded podcast ever. And you could tell that the people were riding this this wave of positive energy directly into what amounted to a brick wall. It'll be interesting to see where our downloads come in this week because if everyone was as mad as I was about that game... You were so pissed off. I loved loved it, though, (laughs) that you were mad. Guys, I invited a bunch of people over to my house to watch Thursday night's football game. Everyone left. I chased everyone out of my house. I didn't leave. With my incessant drinking and just my, my... I don't know what else to call it. My volatile temper towards the Buffalo Bills. When I woke up in the morning and I was cleaning everything up, I found the shorts that I had been wearing the night before and just looking at them came up with the title of my eventual book that I'm going to write. It's going to be entitled Booze, Hot Sauce, and Bloodstains. My life as a Buffalo sports fan. (laughs) Just to say that that night was a disaster would be putting it mildly. For me, anyway. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I always enjoy. I mean, I feel you enjoy so, seeing me rave like a lunatic. Yeah, I I feel bad for our listeners that don't get to see you act the way that you do during a game. Because I even said it to you on Saturday when I, we came over to watch uh, Alabama and LSU. I, I think with Tyrod, you get 
so worked up in the moment that you think his that his talent is better than what it actually is. And you just get blindsided by your own fandom. I don't even know about that. What it is is my frustration. I Maybe my fandom does play a role in it, but my frustration leads me to drink faster than I normally do. Yeah, and Thursday was bad because like, you're, you're used to just like Sunday morning getting up and getting a slow start. You're out of the office at 5, home by 6, games in two and a half hours. You have no time to prep as far as your drinking. <laughs> So instead, I just hit it hard like Rocky Balboa going into the first five rounds of a fight. And things inevitably come off the rails. Folks, we have a lot to cover tonight. But before we get into our you know our opening segment like we always do. So everyone knows I did the uh, Carolina Reaper Wing Challenge. And I successfully completed it. Well, someone in the video got put online and a lot of people enjoyed it. A lot of people like mocking my pain and suffering. Because you the, deserve it. The 12 hours of pain and suffering that came after it. Well, someone who there's this company in Canada, okay, called Brooks Pepperfire Foods Incorporated. They are, you know, out of Rigaud, Quebec, which is right outside of Montreal. One of their customers found my video and sent it to Tina and Greg Brooks, who operate the farm, and said, "Look, here's a guy who like <laughs> if you like hot food, this guy, you should talk to these people. They have a wonderful product." And they were nice enough to send me a sampler pack of it. And after I got to know a little bit more about it and try some of their products, I got to tell you, I'm hooked. So I'm not being paid for this. I don't want you to think that this is some kind of paid advertisement. Chris, do we see any money for this? I wish. <laughs> no, essentially, this is, this is what I, I want to bring it to the show so that anybody else out there who enjoys chilies, enjoys hot sauces the way I do, can maybe check this out and indulge for themselves. Now, a little bit about them. Greg and Tina have spent more than a decade on their own developing just an entire slew of unique pepper sauces, different blends, different mashes. They pride themselves on the use of fair use and natural ingredients. And I can tell you, just tasting their sauces by comparison to anything I buy at the grocery store, the only thing I can say is that it tastes so much cleaner than anything I get there. It's incredible to me. And you don't get the extra saltiness thrown in on top of it. And they're really experimental when it comes up with just coming up with different blends of hot peppers, trying to see what tastes well with what, what works as a marinade, what works well as just a straight-up sauce. They've won a dozen National Canadian Awards, including Top 10 Innovator by Food Canada. The other thing I like about these people is that they pride themselves on just not only using fair trade ingredients, but to con- they conduct fundraising and reinvestment into the areas of the world that they purchase from to make their sauces. I mean, after the disaster in Haiti, the Brookses not only involved themselves in fundraising efforts to try to help the region, but then were heavily involved in the drafting of the nation's food security proposal, which was aimed at curbing the malnourishment and starvation issues that they have. Like I said, I'm not getting paid for any of this. The reason I'm giving them a promo and a shout-out on my show it's not because I want anything in return. It's because, like we do with Jay Seafelt over from Wise Guys Pizzeria, the Brooks just strike me as a, just a pair of good, hardworking people. They go above and beyond to produce a, a quality product. And in the process, they're also trying to make the, the world around them a little bit of a better place. You know, they, they're reinvesting in the community and in the world around them. And for that, they've got my business and my respect. So if I can use the tiny platform, I have to even just interest other people who are into this kind of stuff, who maybe are on the market for some small batch hot sauces, things of that nature. If I can help them expand and make people more aware of their brand, I'm all for it because they certainly deserve it. I expect you to use some of this 
Super Bowl Sunday in February in the smoker. Oh, some of this stuff is fantastic. They sent me a sticky rib sauce. There's a number of different... I even have, folks, if we make it that far, uh, their Carolina Reaper mash here sitting at the table with me. But so first and foremost, Chris and I are going to, well, while we go through the Bills news update, Chris and I are going to taste a couple of their hot sauces and critique them as we go. This is their straight jerk sauce. It has a, you could smell the uh, Jamaican seasonings in it. Chris, if you want to do the honors. Sure, it smells fine. All right, now take it. Smells like the movie Cool Running. (laughs) Now take a dab, throw it on a wing, and let the people know what you think. There we go. Let's see. I put it on a flat. Drew got plain wings from... Wise Guys. Wise Guys Pizzeria, the official pizzeria of the Rock Bell Report podcast. It has a little kick to it. I just, I haven't even put the wing in my mouth. I had some sauce on my finger, licked it off. Mm. What do you think? It's got a, almost like a a savoriness that you would find in a Chevetta sauce with some serious heat, but it's not salty. It's not, it doesn't taste overly processed. Man, that's good. And that brings us to this week's Bill's News Update. Zay Jones injured. <laughs> it wouldn't be complete it wouldn't be crazy to call Thursday night's game Zay Jones' best of his entire career. I mean, he's only been in the league for a couple weeks, and yet he has struggled mightily to the point where I have berated the kid. On multiple occasions. Yep, there's videos on her Twitter at Rockpile Report. However, he's had mu- he showed multiple catches, a few of which were pretty impressive, and then he scored his first career touchdown. Unfortunately, that's where the night took a real shit turn for the kid. On a play in which he had cleanly beaten Jets defensive backbuster screen, Jones was grabbed, held, and tripped in the open field as he was breaking away from him. He stumbled forward and hyperextended his knee. And to see it live in, at game speed looked awful. I mean, at that point... It, they to, me, him, to me, it didn't look like an ACL. No, they took him down the tunnel, but you could tell by the way... I mean, you knew his knee was in rough shape when the kid's rolling around on the ground like that. Yeah, it bent past 180 degrees. Now, first and foremost, there's the Zay Jones that we've all been waiting to see since, he was, since we traded up in the second round to get him. And it took a while, but he was playing with some... I mean, he came into the game with confidence, not even just catching the ball, but in his blocking attempts, even though no one saw it, that I haven't seen from him since week one. So maybe it took a few weeks for him to really find his feet. Maybe he needed to get angry over the fact that people were getting down and doubting him. I don't know. But just to see that was, was impressive. And then Buster Screen. That, that guy, that guy can go fuck himself. He, sh- he belongs in Guantanamo Bay for as poorly as he's played this season and that egregious trip in the open field. Get, get him out of here. So as we're watching the game, Dr. Kyle Trimble was there at my house watching it with us. Yeah, this is before he left. He pointed out you know, the injury. Flat, first and foremost, when everyone's like, oh no, his knee, maybe he's done for the year. The first words out of Kyle's mouth were, I don't think it's uh, an ACL tear. I don't think it is. Now, for those of you who don't know, Kyle runs a Bill's injury blog which we'll put a link to in the show's description. But this was his quote on his blog this week, kind of describing the Jones injury. He says, essentially, while trying to regain his footing and preventing from falling down, Jones stepped awkwardly and hyperextended his knee, falling to the ground immediately. Upon initial observation, one may think an ACL tear. 
However, the mechanism for injury was there, but Jones seems to have avoided it. It does, by the replay, appear to be a hyperextended knee, similar, similar to what Bryce Harper sustained during this past MLB season. It's unknown whether he sustained a bone bruise similar to Harper, but further ev evaluation will be required. Now, he says that it, anybody who follows baseball knows that when Bryce Harper got that injury, he wasn't out for long, but because of the bone bruise. The bone bruise is actually what took longer to get him back out on the field than the actual hyperextension of the ligaments. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him this week. You know, he's had a couple extra days to rest. He didn't practice yet, okay? But the fact that he came back to the game before finally just deciding he couldn't hold up with the, with the pain in the moment. And the fact that we were losing. That's got to be good, right? That's got to be a good sign for Zay Jones. Yeah, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bone bruise. It looked exactly like what uh, Harper did uh, towards the end of the baseball season, stepping on first base. I don't, you know, it. I guess it's it's a blessing in disguise that we do get uh, Kelvin Benjamin hopefully playing this week, or at least I assume he is. I would assume so, but I'll tell you, we need all the help we can get. So Zay Jones, if he misses any significant time. It will be just another giant blow, even with the acquisition of Kelvin Benjamin to our wide receiver core. All right, folks, so that first wing, this uh, straight jerk. That's got some kick to it. It's got some serious kick, but you get a lot of these, uh, I don't know what you call it. Just I don't know how else to describe it, but Jamaican seasonings. And it's just a mixture of chili peppers with a little bit of habanero, some bird pepper, and a little bit of, uh, what do you call that? Uh, I don't know. This is how I, like, I can't. I don't know how you come up with these words like maltiness and other shit I, when it, it hits your palate. To me, it's good. It's got a great kick to it. It's, it's good. Because I'm a hot sauce connoisseur. Now, the next sauce up is sweet goat pepper. Oh, Jesus. Sweet goat pepper. Upon first smell, you can smell the sweetness. You just smell it. So, when we talk this about... This looks like a jar of piss. <laughs> It is a little more on the watery side. It's more of a sauce. Why don't you go ahead and throw it on your wing there? So, talking about Zay Jones, ultimately what you're dealing with is a young player having a breakout game, and it's heartbreaking to see him go out like that. All eyes are going to need to be on the injury report this week because if he can continue playing at that type of a level, I mean, Deontay Thompson was our leading wide receiver this week. Nice. That can't happen. <laughs> that, with Kelvin Benjamin out there, I, th I think that'll help. But we need Zay back in the lineup as quickly as possible. This has like the consistency between like a like a syrup and honey. Yeah, the sweet goat pepper sauce looks it has a honey kind of a and it's got a sweet smell and a honey sort of consistency. I don't I don't know what any of that means. Drew just ate a bone. Did you eat that bone? No, I didn't eat that bone. What do I look like? Well, I know I have bulldog teeth, but come on now. <laughs> Speaking of players being affected by injury. Mm. Wing was damn yeah, good. Yeah, you got to chew your food there. That wing was damn good, and it had a very sweet finish to it. That sweet ghost pepper, goat pepper sauce is a winner in my book. Like I said, it almost had like a honey finish to it, but it's a hot sauce. It's got a little bit of burn. Now, here's a storyline that even though it's not with the Buffalo Bills, since we're talking about injuries that are important to football teams, Here's something I think that fans, it does kind of pertain to us in a way. I'd be remiss if I didn't give an Ostrovia and pour a little bit of booze out on the curb for quarterback Deshaun Watson from the Houston Texans. Chris? 
He was just tore his ACL on a routine throw during practice. And while he's not a Bills player, he was quickly becoming one of the most electric, electric offensive players in the NFL. I mean, he took a team in Houston that looked pretty sad the first few weeks. Right now, you can count them out of being in the playoffs because the team that wins that division is the only team getting in the playoffs. Well, the, the problem is you look at what they had. They lost J.J. Watt. They lost Whitney Merciless. They lost Brian Cushing. Their left tackle, Dwayne Brown, was holding out. And yet he came in and quickly became one of the best playmaking quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, over that five-game span, was it? He had just, I, I, think he, I think he threw just as many touchdowns as Tyrod Taylor did last year in just a handful of games this year. And now he's just got this long, grueling road to recovery back. But listening to John, John Clayton talk about it last week on WGR really got me thinking. He was on Shopin' the Bulldog, and he's, he's telling Shopin' the Bulldog he was on the sidelines during the most recent Seattle versus Houston game where Watson led the offense to more than 30 points against the Seahawks on the road. And he praised the rookie for his ability to make flash plays and show a lot of composure. But he gave Bill O'Brien some props for completely changing the playbook. Now, according to Clayton, O'Brien, when he, you know, after that first game that um, Deshaun Watson started in Cincinnati, where the only touchdown he scored was like a 55-yard run that he just scrambled through the Cincinnati defense for a touchdown. Following that week, Bill O'Brien went back to the drawing board, completely scrapped the playbook, and installed what was essentially a modified version of the Clemson playbook that he's run for years. They went back to a system of half-field reads and then disguised it using a lot of pre-snap motion to disguise the direction that he was going to be throwing, and even brought back passing out of what essentially was a wishbone formation that everyone panned Rex Ryan for during the preseason a couple years ago. Now, they threw jet sweeps. I mean, when you see a, a quarterback playing out of a pistol formation with a jet sweep behind him to throw off the defense, those are purely college football concepts. Because that's what they need to do in order to protect their quarterback and his ability to throw at the NCAA level. Well, I think this is one of the first times I can honestly say I've ever heard or seen that being done at the NFL level. And look at the results it produced. I mean, can you argue with the strategy? As soon as they changed the playbook back to something he was comfortable with, the kids started throwing touchdowns like like crazy. Yeah, you, you don't expect many people to do what uh, Deshaun Watson did to the Seattle defense. And I mean, well, no. And the thing is, that's a complete change of course. When you think about what the NFL is, I mean, stodgy is the word to describe this league. You're talking about a group of coaches who still, at this day and age, think that it's a good idea that on fourth and one, when you need to get th when you need to get three feet, it's a good idea to stack the box, take every fat guy you have and throw him on the line, and hope you can just willpower your way to three feet instead of doing the intelligent thing, which would be to spread the other team out with wide receivers towards the sideline that they have to account for, and then hope your lineman can win a one-on-one -on -one battle and you can beat one single linebacker in front of you. It's it makes too much sense, but the NFL has refused to do it for years. Or your Doug Marones, who punt in opponent territory on fourth and one. What is that? That's the league we're dealing with. So to see Bill O'Brien taking this drastic change of course is refreshing. And now where this ties back into the Bills, and it got me thinking. If you're a team that's looking for a rookie quarterback and needs them to produce, you've got to get one with talent. 
But at the same time, there's got to be some merit to taking that sort of an offensive approach in order to maximize the talent of that kid as they acclimate to the NFL game. I mean, what's the point of... You're almost playing the game with square peg round hole when you draft a kid and then make it say, okay, well, this is the way we play the game. I know you don't play it that way, but we play it this way. You find out how we do it and do it our way. You're asking for these kids to fail. So being that the Bills are a team that we do expect somewhere in the 2017 draft to pick up a quarterback, probably with one of our premium picks, this should become an interesting concept and it should cause us to take a look and see. Does Rick Dennison strike you as the type of offensive coordinator and does Sean McDermott strike you as the type of head coach that would take that sort of a track with this? No, I don't, or, I don't think either of them will would ad- adapt adapt to what their quarterback's skill set is. See, and that and that makes me nervous because whether you're t- I mean you're t- everyone loves to talk about Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is becoming one of the most electric playmakers in college football right now. That game last week, the the Bedlam in Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. That game was a showcase of two quarterbacks who just threw all over the opposing defenses. But at the same time, do I believe either one of those kids could step in and throw 500 yards in an NFL football game? Absolutely not. So if I'm taking a kid like Baker Mayfield, yes, I can take the long approach with it and try to groom him over the course of a year or two to get him acclimated to the NFL game. But wouldn't it seem like there might be some merit to taking a look at the kind of, I don't don't know what you want to call it, the modified air raid offense that they run and try to bring some of those concepts to your office to make him more useful for you sooner. I don't know. It just got me thinking and I wanted to bring it to the show and share it with all of you guys because I think that what we might be witnessing here, we may just be witnessing the birth of a new shift in NFL philosophy in terms of how rookie quarterbacks should be handled. I think it would have been better if we'd gotten to see more of the Deshaun Watson project but knowing that it happened, I mean, that's a step in the right direction. And then speaking of steps in right directions, this week the Bills took a step in the wrong direction. Remember all those power rankings that I told you guys about early in the season and we talked about how they're trash, they're garbage, and how back when ESPN thought that we were trash and lowered our ranking after a win, I said that no one should put much stock in what the media has to say about your football team. Or how I told everybody, be careful. When all of a sudden, everybody under the sun wanted to declare the Buffalo Bills a top 10 football team. You seem to be one of them. No. I Dur- said, during, were, I said that that was too high. When you, well, no. When you get going in games. Oh, mid-game, I'm, you can't talk yeah. about this type of stuff. Because no. I'm not being a rational human being at no, that point. You're, no, you're not. Because <laughs> Come game day, rationality goes out the window. No, I don't even know how Larissa's marrying you. Because all women want is a guy that can listen. After Thursday night, and we, we did our, our periscope, you offered me a Seagram's bet that they will not make the playoffs. Have you listened <laughs> to anything I've said on this show? I don't buy into what the Bills are doing. Still at at five and two going into Thursday night, we weren't a playoff team. We still, I still think that. So the fact that you didn't listen to anything I said on this show, and you just immediately challenged me to a, a Seagram's bet, we will not make the playoffs. I've been saying that since September. <laughs> listen, Chris. I, I I think you've noticed I don't listen to much when the game is on. 
When yeah. the game's on, I'm impossible to talk to. The rest of the world may might as well not exist. So last week, it seems like everybody's jumping on that bandwagon because, I mean, think about it. Last week, Nate Burleson had nothing but positive things to say about the Bills on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. Well, this week, he had this to say about Buffalo. This is it, though. It's the inconsistencies. You know, they show up in one game, they show up at home, like you said, Kay, and then they don't show up when they need to. Yeah. This was the ultimate game for them to come out and prove to be the team that they need to be, and you got to give credit to that Jets defense. They smothered Tyrod. He cannot do what he usually does. Seven Look sacks. at the defense. Look at what they're doing surrounding him and not allowing him to leave the pocket and make that extended play. But when it comes to the Bills, we know that, that LaShawn McCoy got going a couple weeks ago. He didn't have the game today. In the beginning of the season, he didn't get in the end zone. Their consistency has to be in the running game and then light up the sky. So it's run to open up the pass. If they can't find consistency in that, then we're not going to see consistency out of this team. Again, there was Nate Burleson from NFL Network. I, I mean, what do you think about that? Inconsistency. That seems to be the one word that anything you look at online right now about the Buffalo Bills. You could probably Google it, and one of the first articles that pops up is going to have the word inconsistent somewhere in the opening 40 words. So it's something that we've, we've that's happened at least over the whole playoff drop. Oh, I know. This we, have, we, we play to the level of the teams that we play. We play a bad team, we're going to play bad. We play a good team, we'll win. I mean, like it happened a couple of years ago with Aaron Rodgers. We all thought we were going to get steamrolled by Green Bay, and we ended up beating them. I mean, we just played. I just think we played bad against the shitty football team. <laughs> is that is that your professional opinion? That is my professional production opinion. Well, I'll tell you, just watching social media over the last few days, that sentiment is mirrored by most fans out there, and it seems like most of the national outlets agree on this week's weekly rankings. They've tanked us. That's exactly why I say that paying attention to a lot of this stuff is an exercise in frustration. I didn't agree that we were a top 10 team when they put us there. And I don't think that we are, you know, we belong to be as close to the basement as some people are talking about us being. Yep. I think about it. At the beginning of the season, everyone was trash, including us, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Los Angeles Rams. There was a lot of teams that were pegged to be terrible. Meanwhile, teams that made the playoffs last year, like the Giants, are in the toilet. They are in the toilet. The Giants have no hope. So, I. That's why I'm saying, guys, let's get, not get too high, not get too low, unless the game's on. In which case, I can't say that because that makes me a hypocrite. Yeah, you get <laughs> so irrational <laughs> and moody when the Bills are playing. Absolutely. Thank God that we got a home game this week. I don't have to watch it with you. Oh. And, folks, we are here to try the, one of the last sauces of the night. This is the Hurricane Irie Mash from, from the Pepperfire Farms. Let's go ahead and take a bite of this. It smells really good, and it's got a sweetness to it. All these sauces have been kind of a sweeter sweeter brand of hot sauce. Yeah, I don't taste that. I just eat it, and I go, yeah, that's good. Fits my palate. What are these seeds that are in here? Mm, that brings some heat. But again, Am I going to be running to the toilet? No, you'll be fine. Put it in your mouth. <laughs> that's what she said. Oh, my God. Shut up and eat the wing. So, folks... There's a nice secondary burn that kicks in after you put that wing in your mouth, boy. Woo! Like it. I like the heat. There isn't the, the flavor of that sauce isn't overly peppery, but at the same time, it brings a nice subtle. My eyes heat. are sweating. <laughs> it brings in a nice subtle heat that creeps right in on you. How you feeling over wow. there, Chris? 
Ooh. I'm going to have to drink a six-pack. <laughs> Everyone's going to have to drink a six-pack. And, and I'm sure that that's what everyone was saying in the middle of last Thursday night's game. That brings us, folks, to our weekly recap. This week, week eight, Jets 34, Bills 21. <laughs> oh, man. It's funny. It we're wasn't s- that close. We're sitting here. Garbage points. We are sitting here eating hot sauces. But for as hot as these things are, and as much as Chris is talking about sweating, I don't know. The fire coming off that... Wow. (laughs) The heat coming off that dumpster fire that I watched on Thursday was pretty strong. I I still think this hot sauce is hotter. Stats of the game. Zay Jones, six catches on six targets, two yards after the catch. Six catches, two yards after the catch. A rushing disparity. The Buffalo Bills, 22 attempts for 63 yards and one touchdown. The New York Jets, 41 attempts for 194 yards and three touchdowns. Turnovers. New York Jets, zero. Buffalo Bills, three. Buffalo, 20 total missed tackles. Sacks. New York Jets, seven. Buffalo Bills, one. What about touchdowns by your center? Buffalo, (laughs) one. Jets zero. You know what? That's a good. That's a great point. First and foremost, this officiating crew are a bunch of horses' asses in that game. Not because of the. You know, not because they missed any one specific call. I write you off as a crew because there is a there. There's a play that you can go back and I'm sure you can Google it. I'm sure it's made YouTube. If it's not, then I'm disappointed in all the rest of the Bills fans who watch this stuff. They they tell us that we didn't get into the end zone and make us run a play. At the same time. When the referee spots the ball, the ball is spotted on the goal line. It is literally on the goal line as Eric Wood puts his hand on it and tries to snap it. How you make that mistake as an official on primetime television is beyond me. Absolutely beyond me. But I can't blame the officials for any of the other nonsense that I saw. I mean, it starts up front on both sides. You look at the defensive line. When Marcel Darius got shipped out of town last week, the defensive line stepped up and played pretty well in his absence. Outside of that opening drive, I didn't see any egregious lack of A-gap pressure. They they managed to cause enough chaos up front for the Raiders that it gave their secondary the ability to effectively cover the routes. Thursday, all of that shit went right out the window. The Jets came into this game with a plan of attack that involved running directly at Jerry Hughes for most of the game. They had 19 of their 41 rushing attempts were to Jerry Hughes' side of the line. And while they didn't, I mean, that's almost half. And while they didn't have a ton of productivity rushing to that side of the field, it definitely had an ability to take Jerry Hughes out of the game. I mean, you saw it. He didn't make any of his flash plays. Yeah, he did. He had a unsportsmanlike. (laughs) The patented Jerry. Isn't it funny, folks, how when things go wrong, and things are down, you can almost always count. I mean, we haven't seen it for weeks. And all of a sudden, bad Jerry Hughes reared his head and gets a ridiculous 15-yard penalty for for saying something stupid to an official. I don't care what it was. I don't care whether he deserved it or not. Don't talk to him. You know they don't like you. Oh. Since Denver in week three, the Bills have gone five straight games with only one or fewer sacks per game. As, uh... Guy I used to work with, Greg, would tell you, sacks don't matter in the NFL. I can tell you that 
some of that might be due to game plan and the caliber of quarterback that we're currently playing. I mean, you're talking about you know, James Winston, um, who, for all of his faults, still managed to throw over 300 yards on us. You've got Derek Carr, who in his own right is a, a good quarterback who elite. played a lot of shotgun. Yeah, he's a elite. good quarterback. Elite. He's, he's not elite. He's elite. Who played a lot of shotgun that kind of insulated him from the pass rush, and he's smart enough to know when to throw the ball away instead of taking taking hits because obviously he's smart. Yeah, that me- uh, another word for smart is elite. And then teams are now, I don't know. I think that because of the quarterbacks that we're coming up against, our defensive coordinator has gotten gun shy about blitzing. So now teams are neutralizing Jerry Hughes off the snap and with their game planning. And up the middle, we've got we've got options. You know, you've got guys like um you got Jarrell Worthy, you've got Kyle Williams, you've got Adolphus Washington, you've got DeAndre Coleman. But none of these guys are standouts outside of Kyle. So if you double Kyle, you're asking one of these other guys to make a play, and so far none of them have been able to do it in the pass rush department. And that's really hurting us. Really hurting us on defense. I mean, I just think that we are doomed if we have to continue game after game trying to manufacture a pass rush with no one who can handle their own shit in the middle. Look, our defense played a bad game. That, that's how I. That's how I view it. Okay. Well, well, no, no, no. Well, look, I look. I play like we both play sports. I play hockey. There are times where I just, I mentally, I don't show up. I can't shoot. I can't pass. I mean, it might be a little bit different for you, for you because you stand behind a plate while someone underhands you a ball. It, ah. might be, it might be a little bit different. But I just think defense, offense, they just didn't show up. They were, And when that happens, you get a result of Thursday night. Because if you look at Carolina and Cincinnati, our offense really didn't show up for that game, and that's why we lost. Thursday, no one showed up, and that... We just had a bad game. That's well, it. But but the thing is, it starts on but but it, especially the trenches. I mean, flip the flip to the other side of the football. Uh, to your point, no one on that side of the line had a night either. The offensive line was way worse than our defensive line. <laughs> the sack numbers and lack of rushing yards illustrate perfectly how badly things went on that side of the football. I, I mean, th- there was no push, and they failed to pick up a lot of the blitz combinations the Jets were throwing at us. One of the most frustrating things is watching replay of Taylor's incompletions and realizing that the Jets blitzed a ton. They were designed run blitzes more often than they were blitzes meant to get to the passer. And instead, they blitzed the run, put a quarterback spy out there, and made Taylor stay in the pocket and throw into into man coverage. And he couldn't do it. Whether it was our wide receivers not getting not getting enough separation, whether it was Tyrod being too scared to force the ball into guys who looked covered, you know that's been a, one of the drums I've beaten for forever on Tyrod is he needs to see you wide open before he'll throw the ball because he's so preoccupied with ball security. This is a perfect example. I mean, think about it. If you go back to the Ravens game last season, back to a number of football games. Teams have been able to use this philosophy against us, and it, again, rears its head on a primetime football game in front of everybody when the lights are the brightest. They kept Taylor in the pocket and forced him to throw, which just isn't his strong suit. Look, Think back to Denver and Atlanta. In those games, he made his biggest passing plays. You know, He was given a lot of credit for winning, those, winning in those football games and making good passes down the field that generated chunk yardage. Well, he did that because... Our play-action game was working, and he could get outside the pockets on rollouts. 
and get the ball downfield as our wide receivers were breaking away from their coverages. But if the Jets just proved that if a team can take that away and our offensive line can't buy him more time, he can be completely and wholly ineffective in that area of the game, which is incredibly frustrating to watch. And then you, you talk about the running game. One of the most telling plays of the entire night. The Bills ran that the same exact play that LaShawn McCoy scored his 48-yard touchdown run against Oakland. Ducasse pulled across the formation, hit a hole created by Incognito, and landed a seal block, which opened up a wide lane for Shady to just take it to the house because no one was gonna, none of those linebackers or safeties could catch him. They called it again. They ran the same exact play, except this time things were catastrophically wrong. Incognito got no push against Muhammad Wilkerson. And then the outside linebacker holds Cordy Cordy Glenn in place. So now when when Ducasse comes across the formation to the left-hand side and goes to try to land a seal block, there's no hole. There's two men standing in front of you. He runs directly into the back of them. Shady has nowhere to go, runs directly into the back of them like a a damn Three Stooges skit. And everyone ends up in a run for a loss. I mean, it's... It was one of the most frustrating performances from our offensive line I think I've seen all season. They've got to get their stuff together ASAP. Because the folks at NFL Network were very quick to point out almost as soon as the game started. LaShawn McCoy is the only non-quarterback in the NFL responsible for more than 31% of his team's scoring. If we don't get help from our offensive line, none of that is going to continue. We we can't thrive on offense if it's all driven through one guy who needs five other guys to do their jobs well. My one question on this topic would be, what are we doing with Sean Charles Henderson? Has he played yet? I haven't haven't noticed it. I mean, as I know, McDermott loves to have different offensive line combinations. So I I haven't even noticed him out there. Has he played yet? No, no. They're holding him in a reserve role. He hasn't gotten any playing time. But I'll tell you, I... If I'm Dennison and I'm him, I'd start looking at options. Why isn't Ryan Groy seeing snaps as a starter? I'm sorry, he can't be as bad as whatever it is that we're throwing out there. I mean, the excuse you give me for our offensive line is that Vlad Dukas is a more athletic offensive lineman with size. Okay, but he's not executing. We're simply not winning. So if that's the case, what are we doing here? I mean, I feel like this coaching staff really has to buck up and try to fix things. Because even to the untrained eye, there are problems. Now, you guys may not follow him on Twitter, but I do, and he's a great follow for Buffalo Bills News. It's Yards Per Pass on Twitter. His name is John Ramsey. He's a weekly contributor for BuffaloRumblings.com. Now, I haven't, been a, I haven't been a Buffalo Rumblings guy in years. I kind of abandoned the website when their, the founder, Brian Galliford, left as editor-in-chief. However, he does a great job of breaking down film clips over the course of, you know, for, from each game and really explaining what went wrong. If you go to his website, if you go to his article, I'm going to put a link to it in the show's description. Go check it out because he breaks down a number of these rushing plays where we really struggled with plays getting blown up in the backfield and exactly how and why they're happening. I mean, (laughs) it was the article itself is fantastic, but I think for me, the the silver lining to it all, and I think the (laughs) the piece de resistance that wrapped it all up and really gave me a chuckle this morning was in the comments to the article. SB Nation user Scarecrow had the quote of the day in which he said that this Buffalo Bills football game was like the watching the offensive and defensive line play 
was like watching the episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where they're all trying to figure out, like, like a mo- like some kind of a mystery novel, who pooped the bed. And at the end of the show, everybody pooped the bed. Every individual was pooping the bed. That quote made me laugh my ass off because that's what watching that Thursday night football game was like. So to Chris's credit, there is a silver lining here. We all sucked. Oh, no! We suck again! There was a distinct lack of tackling. There was a lack of blocking up front. Wide receivers couldn't get separation. There was no room to run. There was no eight-gap pressure. And to hear LaShawn McCoy say it himself, there was no energy or physicality to the game. Our intensity wasn't high. We, we, I feel like we were lackadaisical. Um, small mistakes that we haven't made, you know, in the past we made today. Um, started at the beginning of the game. You know, small things like the alignments, you know, on sides. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get it together. It's tonight we just didn't bring it. Now that comes to you from NFL Network in his post-game interview. <sighs> it's time for everybody to take a deep breath here. Because Chris is right. We had a bad game across the board. There wasn't, there's almost no one on the team that I can point to and say that they had a stellar night. I, I said in my video after the show, no one earned their paycheck. They should donate them. Every one of those players should pull a Chris Long and donate their check to charity because none of them showed up and earned it. You did say that everybody quit. Oh, in that second half, I saw a ton of quit. Because they stopped fighting. They stopped uh, pushing. I, I think that's a little bit different than you just didn't have it. You just mentally didn't show up, physically didn't show up. That's, that's different than quitting. I didn't see quit. I just saw what they were trying to do just didn't work. I didn't see people quitting. You, By what, that fourth what, quarter, there no, was little this is what, this, what quitting is was what you saw Sunday in the Rams and Giants game. That's quitting. <laughs> when the Giants just rolled over That's, and took That is quitting. <laughs> we did not play like the Giants. Okay, so maybe your point is fair, Chris, but here's what I'll no, say. No, 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 my point is right. Your point sucks, like most of your points, but I'll somewhat agree with it. It does blow that we're here discussing what was essentially another epic Bills meltdown on primetime TV for the entire world to see. But as Chris tries to remind me almost every week, and for the last couple days at minimum, there are going to be games where your team simply comes out and lays an egg. This is what he's been trying to drill into my head. So like most things Chris says, I don't take it at face value. But what I did was I started to dig into the numbers. And I said, okay, Chris, I'll prove you wrong. Every team has a bad game. Every team has a bad game. Not that. But I said to myself, not that bad. So I picked a number. What sounds like a blowout to you? To me, it's 20 points. If you lose by 20 or more points, I consider that a blowout loss. I would say, I would say more than I figured, two, two scores. Yeah, see, I figure 20 points is three scores minimum. Maybe four if you're counting field goals. I would probably say, I would, I would go as low as 18. Because yeah, so, that's, I'm not including field goals. So what I did was I took a look back through the NFL season so far. And I took a look back at every single game played throughout the course of the season and looked just to see how many times an NFL football team lost by 20 points or more. Like I said, if that's how I'm quantifying a blowout, how many could there possibly be, Chris? Because teams just don't have bad games like that. And this is where I have to get some more of this fantastic hot sauce out and eat some crow. Starting with week one, Just parsing through the numbers, 
Week one, there was four teams. Week two, there was four teams. In week three, there was two teams. Four teams in week four, two teams in week five. There have been, there's only been one week of NFL football played so far this season where there were no teams that lost by a smaller margin than 20 points. And in fact, in week seven, there were three teams that got completely shut out that did not score a single point. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. So, well, your whole thing in the in the Periscope video was uh, playoff teams don't lose by 20. And that's where I was also surprised because in looking through some of these teams that get blown out, I, I mean, yes, you have the Colts. You have the 49ers. Teams that you look at and say, okay, that's a bad football team. And you've got the Steelers. Okay, You've got teams like the Ravens getting blown out. The Steelers got blown out by Jacksonville. You've got, exactly. You've got Cincinnati that gets shut out. It's home opener. Like these are the types of games that I look at and I say, how did, how did this happen? So maybe to Chris's point, we do all need to just take a deep breath and realize that shit games have happened this season to good football teams. I guess the silver lining here is that they failed together. Whatever they do, they do it as a team. And Thursday night, they failed epically. But at least maybe they got that one under their belt. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that, that's, I mean, Chris, if I'm looking for a silver lining and the numbers support it, I'll give you your due that you're correct. Cheers. And I'll say that maybe we got ours out of the way. Yeah. Well, it just sucks that it's against the Jets. It does suck that it was a division game. There was one other silver lining for me personally, and I'm hoping that some of you out there listening to this can get on the same page as I am. Tredavious White. The kid impresses me every single week. Now, don't get me wrong. Trey White had the worst game of his entire career thus far on the nation's biggest stage. I mean, I guess I should say third biggest stage because technically Sunday Night Football and Monday Night Football are a little bit bigger. He allowed three catches for 37 yards one of which was a 25-yard touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson that really kind of got the Jets pulling away from the Bills. And he whiffed on three tackles, including what was just a backbreaker that Matt Forte just, he whiffed on it. And Matt Forte, I, I don't know if that was the touchdown run, but I know it was a sizable run. I was already chugging my beer at that point and turned my head away from the TV. After the game, this is, what, this is his quote to reporters. I don't know what to say. I felt like coming into the game, I felt great. My body felt great, even though it's my first time on a short week. I don't know what it is. It's just the worst game that I ever played in my life. Second time costing, team, costing my team the win. It's devastating. Now that quote tells me a few things. One, on a football team that's supposed to be built around the idea that each player is simply one of 11, that's a young kid taking personal responsibility for a lot more that went wrong than his own play. He alone didn't cost us this football game. Well, that if you watch the quote, watch him say the quote, it kind of shows his his character that he has, and and he even looked like he was in pain just from the plays that he had let up. I mean, he's not the only person out on the out there on that field who failed to bring their hard hat with him on Thursday. And he's sure as hell not the only reason we lost that game. But to hear him talk about it and speak just so openly about 
He's taking personal ownership of these losses. He calls it the second time that he's cost us a game. When was the first? When was the first? It was either Carolina or Cincinnati. Yeah, but that's my point. Like, I, I bet you he's I, probably I blaming he's himself sit- for the A.J. Green catch. Yeah, A.J. Green. What that shows you is that even though he, he clearly has come out and played confidently, but he's also taking ownership of his mistakes and really does see himself as a leader on this football team. As a kid his age, that's impressive. You know what? I'm impressed by Trey White. And I know I hated this draft, but I'm, I don't know. So far, you've been wrong on the draft. Watching him play, I'm just I'm just damn proud that that's a guy who puts on my jersey every Sunday. And that brings us to our hero and zero of the week. Now, Chris, I kind of struggled with this, considering that there were, I feel like there were so many zeros and not enough heroes. <laughs> but if I had to pick one, wide receiver Zay Jones, my hero of the week. <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world. You said I was going to be the hero because I stayed for the whole game. <laughs> I will give Chris. I will give Chris the honorable mention because Chris actually stuck it out with me when I was, for all accounts, Trimble left. Erica drunk, left. Drunk, belligerent, inconsolable. No one could speak to me. Chris hung out with me. Yeah, I had to get your stupid take after the game. <laughs> Chris, I know we may always not always see eye to eye, but you are one of my best friends, and I love you for that. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> I gave it to Zay Jones because I've dogged this kid for weeks. So in a night when he flashes and has the performance of his career and then shows toughness by not only being hurt, but tr- coming out and at least attempting to fight through it because his team is losing, that gets him the game ball. I mean, that's balls right there. That is balls. I'm having a great night. My team needs a spark. I'm hurt, but I'm going to go back out there and play. That, 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 that makes him a stud in my book. And for the zero of the week, I had to pick somebody, so it goes to head coach Sean McDermott. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Now, I know some of you out there are probably just shaking your heads, laughing at me, thinking I'm nuts, calling McDermott the zero of the game. I, you want to... You're probably already pointing at a dozen players. Oh, this guy deserved it more. That guy deserved it more. However, when you fail across the board as widely as the Buffalo Bills did, you can't blame that many people for a team's failure, at least not one that epic, without taking a look at the captain of the ship. Okay? You heard McCoy say it. They came out flat. They didn't have the intensity. They just didn't bring it. To that end, I say, that is the job of a head coach is to make sure that his team is motivated and prepared to come out and play a game. Especially on Thursday night. Especially on primetime television, and especially a division game. So, I'm not going to badger the guy, though. Because here's what I'll say. It's a learning experience. He's a first-time head coach. They're not all going to be gems. Okay, Not every single one of these games are we going to walk away from it and say, okay, well, he's the next coming of Bill Belichick, that he's this, that he's that. He's going to have rookie mistakes the same way Trey White has, the same way Zay Jones has. This is his night for rookie mistakes. My hope is that this isn't just a wasted experience, though. My hope is that McDermott, because he strikes me as a smart guy and he's for someone who prides themselves on preparation, I'm hoping that this was... It's got to be a learning experience. Yeah, it's a learning experience. For the you're, you're in your first season as a head coach, so you got to 
You know, something of a wake-up call. Like, hey, things are going well, but they can come off the rails pretty quickly at any given point because that's the NFL. And that's they football. Did. And it's going to tell this week when, it's we, gonna be telling. when we play New Orleans. It's going to be on, telling to see whether he can rebound. Yeah, because he's got ten. He had ten days to prepare for Sunday. So here oh. we have a rock pile report fantasy football league that we do, and didn't Al, did Alex come up with it? <laughs> Alex Wormall, one of our listeners. From London, got a hold of Chris and I and said, hey, I'd like to make a bet about beer. I'll bet you guys a six-pack that when I play you, you'll win and lose. So Chris beat him and for his troubles was rewarded with a six-pack of Big Wave Ale by Kona. Now, I'm not a big Kona fan, but... You know Kona Brewing? I know Kona Brewing. One of the guys we tailgate. So this 50-year-old man that we tailgate with comes over hammered with Konas that are not even labeled because he works for the distributor. He brings us secret Konas and different beers to try. And I'll tell you, I never liked a Kona that I've never liked one that I've tried. But tonight I'm going to be reviewing Big Wave Golden Ale by the Kona Brewing Company. This should be interesting because I literally spent like 10 minutes at consumers looking at what beer could I get <laughs> with this money I got from Warmel that I could use to buy beer that Drew will try on the show and review because he's a raving lunatic, borderline well, since alcoholic. Since you want to talk about raving lunatic, folks, before I start critiquing this beer, I'm going to round out this uh, my so- my sauce tasting here from the uh, Pepper Master and the Pepper uh, the Brooks Pepper Company. I'm going to round this out by taking a dab of their Carolina Reaper Mash. This is just straight, straight, just straight on the tip of your this finger. This is straight, unadulterated. Carolina Reaper Mash. Oh, on the wing. He's going on the wing. Smelling it is bringing back horrific memories. The, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. No one that watched that, that listens to our show, would describe that as horrific. Well, what they, would you use to describe it? Amazing. Hilarious. Watching you sweat out of every pore. All right. Oh. So as Chris can see, I have dabbed this wing up for, for our listeners out there. Yes, I am going to the Looney Bin for this, and I, I strongly suggest that you guys go check out the uh, the Brooks Pepper Farm. I'm going to put a link to their their page in the show's description. Go patronize them the way I plan to. They're great people. They make a great product, and uh, I'll see you guys on the other side of this chicken wing. Yeah, they're the nicest people ever from Canada that I know. So, mm, okay. How's the heat compared to what Jay has? Oh! Ah. <laughs> All right, folks, there's a lot of sweetness up front, but man, is there a bite. <laughs> Ooh, the return of the Carolina Reaper pepper. I swore I would never do this again, Chris. Yeah, you, before the show, you're like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> but you're a man of the people, and the people want to see you suffer by putting hot things in your mouth. I'm not going to lie, folks. So this Carolina Reaper sauce, theirs is pure. And it's not as watery as the uh, stuff from the Pucker Butt Pepper Company. This stuff is pure mash. It doesn't have as much vinegar in it. So it's really sticking to the roof of my mouth. All right. Well, now try some of that Kona Brewing. Kona Big Wave. Big Wave Golden Ale. Oh. Ooh. Folks, this Kona is actually pretty good. It's got a crisp taste. It pairs taste. well with it's, Reaper. It's light. It's got a crisp taste. The Reaper burn has now made its way into my nostrils. So, speaking of things that stink and burn, let's get to this week's AFC East Roundup. 
<laughs> First and foremost, the Patriots. The Patriots didn't play this week, but I still wanted to bring them up just to give me a forum to say it. Fuck the Patriots. <laughs> After trading away their coveted backup quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, they went out and signed the guy who just lost his job because of the trade in Brian Hoyer. Are you kidding me? Brian Hoyer? He's the, who, who else would you sign? I'm sorry. Who else, no, who else would you sign if you're Belichick? Who else do you sign? I don't care about that. I think of the optics of it. Brian Hoyer returning back to New England is like John Bon Jovi. I don't even know. A John Bon Jovi cover band going back to New Jersey. <laughs> like that's what it's like. It's like you sucked here and then you left to go suck elsewhere. And now you're back here, hopefully to suck again. Somebody better take out Brady stat. Ugh. I would love to see Hoyer finish the season. I mean, I, that, that would be like the Bills signing Kelly Holcomb back. For no good reason, just because, oh, hey, you're out there. You still think you can sling a rock? All right. You clearly suck and can't perform at an NFL level, but sure. Not that bad. He, his record as a starter is atrocious. He's a bum. He's a flaming bum. McCown level? I'd say he's worse than McCown. He's worse than Josh McCown. That's pretty bad. But nevertheless, they are the New England Patriots, so of course they're riding a four-game winning streak and will go out to Denver to play the suddenly dog-shit Denver Broncos in a primetime football game that should have been flexed directly into the toilet weeks ago. Are you kidding me? I have to spend my Sunday night watching... because I, I'm gonna, This I, is the first week I think they can flex. This is what I hate. Every game should be able to be flexed. Every week, all season long. This is what I think is bullshit about the NFL schedule and the way they do things. As a guy who's going to be attending the Bills game, by the time I get out of the game, get home, fight traffic, get half back... Halftime in the 4 o'clock games. Unload all... Yeah, it's half to Unload all the tailgating equipment because I house and own all of it. I don't get into the house to watch football. It's 5.30. It's almost 6 o'clock. So at that point, what what's left for me to watch of the afternoon football game? So I'm really looking forward to Sunday night football to get my last fix for the day. Wouldn't you think that this week the Saints-Bills game should be flexed? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why not? The Saints are on a six-game win streak. We're five and three. No. Nobody wants to watch Broncos in prime time. <laughs> Broncos. Hey, I want to watch Brock Osweiler in prime time. Nobody's thinking that. Brock Osweiler. That guy can get <laughs> bent. All I know is, folks, Sunday Night Football is going to suck. And then elsewhere in the AFC, you had the Miami Dolphins. The fantastic, resurgent, rebounding. Oh, wait, no. Actually, none of those adjectives fit. The Miami Dolphins took on the Oakland Raiders at on home. On Sunday night. On Sunday Night Football and lost by a score of 27-24. to 24. Now, I laughed at that game because there were plays. There were times. I mean, you want to talk about a... A series of events where Indomitian Sue forces a fumble. And then uh, the team literally goes three and out. Like, the the whole game was right there for... I, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Miami got some production. I mean, everyone thought that they would struggle to move the ball on the ground. Except after... Tra because they traded away Jay Ajayi, who was their... He was their guy. Their 200-yard... You know, 200-yard game producing running back. Yet Kenyon Drake came in and still managed to get, what was it, I think it was 80 yards rushing? Something like that. He had a couple, of good, a he had a couple of good runs. He played really well. 
And by committee, this running back group seems like they have enough talent to really accomplish some things. So for everyone who second-guessed them for making that trade, maybe they just have a better idea of the talent that they have in-house than we do. I mean, I would hope so. But ultimately, I I got the res- the result that I expected was there. You know, I, I thought Oakland would struggle with them specifically because they have a very good defensive line. The defensive line, they're strong at D-tackle. They've got some good DN play. Their offensive line struggled against the Bills. You know, they the Raiders, were, they did the same thing kind of the Bills did. I'm almost wondering if that's not the, the blueprint now on how to beat the Oakland Raiders. It's simply don't let them run the football and make him throw it. I mean, unfortunately, this week, no one could cover Jared Cook. Our safeties played really well in the game that the Bills played them, whereas Miami's safeties had a rough night. And Jared Cook made a lot of good plays down the middle of the field for them, which is kind of what kept the Raiders in the game early until they got the score up enough that the Dolphins had no choice but to kind of abandon the run and start throwing the ball. And ultimately, I like the outcome because now what that does is it not only drops, it keeps Miami from coming pulling even with us in record. It also gives us a potential tiebreaker with them as far as a loss to a common opponent. Exactly. So we got to have a good AFC uh, record. So that's big for us. So now you got to think about it. Here we are. Now, now Miami, I'm, I'm taking a look here. Who does Miami even play this week? I try not to look at anything colored with teal. Like or, I, I, try, or, I try not to pay. I don't know what it is orange. about them specifically. Maybe it's the squish the fish era as a kid. But I just, I think I hate, as an adult, I hate the Patriots. But as a, just thinking back to my childhood, I hated those guys. So I'm taking a look at their schedule. They have games. So you're talking about a team that is four... And four. They right. play us twice. They play New England twice down the stretch. They have two games against us. They still have games against the Patriots. Against well, twice against the Patriots, twice against us. They play the in in Carolina against the Carolina Panthers the on Kansas, Monday night and the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, I'd like to think that they have a pretty tough road to the playoffs if they or uh, road to catching you know teams like us, like Kansas City and everything else in the wild card race and so on and so forth. I mean, I really don't. I really don't think any other team but the Patriots has the inside track on winning the division. So it's going to be a fight for the wild card. And I mean, you're talking about a team that, after watching them lose the way they lost last night, I don't know. I mean, they 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 didn't. They did everything seemingly right. They forced two turnovers. They held the opponent to 84 rush yards. They only they allowed under 300 passing yards. But ultimately, they didn't do enough to get it done. Derek Carr had exactly 300 yards. Because I, that, I think the stats I'm looking at are adjusted for sacks. Because that's what elite quarterbacks do is they throw for 300. <laughs> you, what is it going to take for you to get off this Derek Carr's elite train? Nothing. He's elite. Point, hey, why don't you point out Tyrod's 300-yard <laughs> passing games? Point him out. I'd love to see him. Love to see him. Because oh, he doesn't Jesus. have any. I hate you. How is that beer? Now this that beer, you're like halfway through. Well, folks, I've been I've been working my way through this beer, this uh, big wave ale, because I'll tell you that Reaper sauce set my entire world on fire. I, I tried to champ up and take a bite of it, and it took me directly back to where I was. It, I had flashbacks. Like I imagine that this is what happens to people, like I don't know, people who've been through things that like like animal attacks. You know, if you've been, ever been attacked by a dog, and then all of a sudden a dog walks into your kitchen, and you didn't expect it, you have flashbacks to when you got attacked by it. That's how I feel eating this Reaper sauce again. My mouth is on fire. It better not bring back from what happened, because after you had the Wise Guys Challenge, we went to Doc's, 
you couldn't suck down a beer. This better not happen this week because we are almost done with our show, and you are three beers in, and I am finishing my fourth. <laughs> Surprisingly, <laughs> I'm beating you. I'll tell you, this. Uh, that the Reaper sauce really did a number on me. So... Moving on, as we always do, we'd like to give a preview of what's happening in next week's game. Week 9 preview, Bills versus Saints. This is a pivotal pivotal game. It's big for the Buffalo Bills. It's really, I think that this this is going to either make or break our season. Yeah, I'm, And I know everyone's going to say, oh, it's too early to say that. I'm not, even, I'm not even with you on this. What I think, personally, I take a look and I say, okay, you have to steal a game somewhere. You have to. If you're going to steal one, is it going to come in Foxborough on the road? Is no. it going to come against the Chiefs on the road? No, maybe. Maybe, but but that's the a, way they've been playing, maybe. Or is it going to come because you've got four potential games that you if if you're going to make it to 10 wins. I mean, cuz there's games you think you should win. Indianapolis. I think, I think Miami, Indy we should win. There's three. You're at home. There's okay? three. That takes Miami, us to eight. Miami. Okay, both times. Both times. And Indianapolis, so that puts us at eight. That puts us at eight, okay? You've got four more cracks at finding another game in here. And it comes down to New England twice, something that we know is never easy. No, 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 no. no, It's happened once. It's happened once. No, it's not never easy. It's not happening. We've beaten Brady once in a decade. Yeah, 2011. So it's going to be more difficult on the road in Kansas City which brings us to home against a dome football team. That's it. This seems like the easiest one out of those games that you could steal. I feel like we have to have this one. So, running down the info for the game. It's going to be at New Era Field, 1 p.m. Where is the game, Chris? CBS, I'm assuming? Fox. Fox? Oh, because it's an NFC team. NFC team at an AFC team. It's always on Fox. So it'll be on Fox. So on Fox, the weather... Folks, for those of you attending the game or just sitting at home wondering how miserable the rest of us are. That would be me. It's going to be approximately 40 degrees, strong chance of rain. <laughs> so it's going to be a miserable afternoon. The spread. Two and a half. Saints. Two, so the Saints are favored by two and a half points. Over under it is uh, 46. The injury, 46. 46 and a half. Excuse me. Oh, 46 and a half. The injury report for the Buffalo Bills. Ramon Humber with a hand injury. He is questionable. They think he'll play again. Zay Jones, knee injury. He is questionable. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the course of the week because we're going to have to watch the practice reports. Cornerback EJ Gaines with a hamstring. He's been listed as day-to-day. I'm going to call him probable even though the injury report says he's questionable because I do believe that he will practice this week. And then Charles Clay. He's been out with a knee injury forever. Probable. I, I'm assuming we will see the return of Charles Clay and DJ Gaines. On the flip side of the ball, there's two injuries that stand out. Left tackle Teron Armstead. He suffered a chest injury in last week's game and didn't come back to the game. So that's one that I'm going to be watching their practice reports just to see if he comes back at all. Because if he's limited, I'm assuming he's going to play. But if he doesn't practice up to Thursday, I think that there's a strong chance they go with a depth option. And then strong safety Kenny Vaccaro for the Saints. Groin injury, questionable. He is also the team's leading tackler. That, 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 again, another potentially big injury. Now the Saints are coming into Buffalo on a six-game winning streak. They've been hot. I mean, it's, 
they're, they're playing I want to say they're playing Saints football from the Saints in their prime. Well, we should start out with, because I have it here on the phone, from a friend of the show, Greg Turlone. He was on two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Breeze in two home games versus the Bills. And this is in wherever, either San Diego when he was there or with New Orleans. 2-0, and 54 of 67, 671 yards, nine touchdowns, no picks. Breeze in two road games at Buffalo, 1-1, one and one, 29 of 53, 320 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. If there's anything wrong with those statistics, at G Terlone on Twitter and let him know, because that's where I got these stats from. Oh, speaking of hot. Oh. Did, you just get a, did you just get a roundhouse kick to the throat? I just touched my eye with the finger that was in the Reaper sauce. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Put it together. I did that. Moving on. (laughs) Woo. So, to bring you guys a little offensive preview of what you can expect to see on Sunday, the Drew Brees passing attack. Now, here's the thing. Everybody, oh, God. Woo. (laughs) Christ, it burns. Don't dip your finger in reaper sauce and then rub it in your eye. The Drew Brees passing attack. Now, everybody knows that that's been the bread and butter of the New Orleans Saints for years. He's one of the most prolific quarterbacks to ever play the game. And in fact, I think he was done a disservice by his his career falling into the same era as the Manning, Rodgers, Brady era. Because he gets thought of as the fourth best of those guys. But I think if you put him 10 years before or 10 years after, he's easily top two. I mean, true or false? True. I mean, defensive coordinators know this about him. When you play... Drew Brees, it's more about limiting the amount of damage he does than trying to stop him completely because the odds that you'll completely shut him down are slim to none. One of the things that scares me about this matchup is that the Bills have struggled with their pass rush. It doesn't bode well, considering that he has one of the quickest releases in the NFL this season and has taken only eight sacks since week one. Tyrod Taylor got sacked seven times last week. And sending extra attackers at him, that is not the way to go about it. He currently holds a 72% completion percentage against the Blitz. So the question becomes, how do you attack Drew Brees? If you're a defense, what do you do with a quarterback who gets the ball out quickly? And at the same time, if you Blitz him, it just makes him faster. You got to attack with a front four. I'm sure you're going to tell me that because we don't have Darius anymore to acquire double teams to put uh, uh, single blocking on Kyle Williams and the rest of the defensive line. We got we got to win with uh, up front we, <clears throat> in the trenches. That's where every game's won. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm having trouble seeing my notes right now. It's things are getting ugly over here on the side of the microphone. All right, I'm taking over <clears throat> the show. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, someone get me a pirate patch and a hat. All right, so. When you look at the one of the most interesting things I saw when I'm going over the just because you're trying to investigate Drew Brees as a quarterback in 2017, one thing I noticed is that his deep passing attempts have decreased dramatically since last season because he's old. Well, some of that is personnel turnover. I mean, think about it you lost speed and size at both tight end and wide receiver. Jimmy Graham 
You replaced him with Colby Fleener, who was a failed high-round draft pick of the Indianapolis Colts. Brandon Cooks, he was replaced as a deep ball threat by a veteran guy in Ted Ginn, who's inconsistent, but he can be effective. And Willie Sneed, he's still trying to... He only has one catch this season. I didn't even know that guy still played. Well, because he's been injured and suspended all season. So he's still trying to work his way into this offense. I mean, this leads to Breeze holding a passer rating of just 84.2 on passes of more than 20 yards, which is his worst grade in over five years. Essentially, what they've had to do is they've had to change their philosophy. They, they don't really attack teams down the field anymore. They rely on a quick passing offense that kind of, you know, dink and dunks their way down the field. Somewhat out of necessity. It's, hey, it's, the, it's the Nate Hackett approach. <laughs> I would never call anything that Sean Payton does the Nate Hackett. We just said dink and dunk. Who does that better than Hackett? That would be like you comparing this delicious moosehead lager to old style lager. (laughs) To old style. Dude, I can't even look at you straight in the face the way you look at me like a fucking pirate. With your (laughs) one eye. I can't open my eye. The right side of my face is on fire right now. So, essentially with this philosophy shift that you're seeing, it doesn't mean that they're going to be any easier to stop. <laughs> it just means that we have to, I mean, if we can get back on defense, think about it. If, he, if we don't have to worry about Drew Brees taking a ton of shots over our head and we can keep the play in front of us, that's the type of defense that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott have preached and that they've tried to build all season. It also lends itself to more turnovers. You know, something that they're, I mean, they have no problem providing that. Even though they've won six straight games, in their last four wins, they've turned the ball over two or more times per game. Now, the only thing I will say is that that shift in philosophy to the shorter passing game needs, it should concern the Bills' deep coordinator because the Saints are doing something that they haven't done since they won the Super Bowl in 2009, and that's the rushing attack. They've spent years as a pass-first offense because of the talent of their quarterback and generally the fact that their defense has been so shitty that they've had to. They've had to try to throw their way out of every out of every kind of uh, hole that the other team puts them in. I can't even look at you straight in the face. This is the first time the Saints <laughs> have had a rushing attack since Deuce McAllister. Deuce McAllister and Reggie Bush were the were the rushing attack. And I think that I think they still had uh, what's his face? Just retired or no, just got injured on the Eagles. Satellite running back. Pass catching threat. Oh, Darren right. Sproles. Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles. So when you take a look at their play counts and their snap counts and how they line up and what they what they call most often, it's surprising to see that they are currently 13th in the NFL in rushing attempts per game. It's been a long time coming. And you can't argue with the results. They've hit at least 100 yards rushing on offense in their last four straight games. And even though their wide receivers aren't really getting downfield and generating the big explosive passing plays that we're used to seeing from the Saints, their their team is still second in catches for 20-plus yards. They're doing it with their running backs. I mean, now anyone who plays fantasy football has heard of Alvin Kamara and knows who former Alabama running back Mark Ingram is. What they may not realize is that the two of them are the nastiest one-two punch at running back in the NFL this season. They're the only pair of running backs to each have 30 catches. 
their elusiveness and this ability that they just have to force missed tackles on screen swing passes has put their offense, the Saints offense is fourth in the NFL on yards after the catch. They've already got almost 1,200 yards. I mean, that's that's incredible. Yeah, uh, Alvin Kamara is why my only team for fantasy that uh, involves money is in second place. He's crushing it. I've got a team that has Elvin Kamara and Mark Ingram on it, and I start both of them every week, and each one of them contributes at least 15 to 20 points. That's terrifying, thinking that that's, that's what we're walking into on defense. They're averaging as a unit 4.2 yards per carry on the ground, which explains why the Saints have been so quick to just turn to the running backs. If it's, I mean, if it's working, why have Breeze exposing himself to more hits by throwing downfield? I mean, look at the number of quarterback injuries the NFL's seen this year. Rodgers, Hannahill. Mm-hmm. Who am I missing? You're missing uh, Bradford. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. There's just, so if anything, if you, what it comes down to is the NFL season's a war of attrition. Right now, the Saints are finding out that they can, for the first time in years, lean on their running backs to carry the load both in the passing attack and the rushing attack. I mean, essentially, for me, I look at it and I say, Drew Brees is the big stick that they use to scare everybody. I mean, he's got a 101.7 passer rating and a 70% completion percentage. But it's the running backs that are probably going to be the hammer that they use to try to beat up the Buffalo Bills. I mean, if you're a turnover-prone team, do you want to throw into into the teeth of a team that's, I'd say, if we're not leading, then we're damn close to the lead in the NFL in turnovers? Yeah. Oh, my question would be, because um, I remember the Saints have played in, played in London earlier this year. Kamara got a lot of passes out of the backfield. Yep. Are we expecting to see that? On oh, Sunday? absolutely. I mean, like I said, they've each got thirty catches heading into last week, and that's that, that's incredible. They 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 are putting up numbers. They're the only ones in the NFL doing it. They are leaning on those running backs. So I guess my summary of the offensive side of the ball is that to be blunt, this isn't a great matchup for Buffalo. We are a ball control offense that can keep ourselves in football games as long as our defense can keep the game close and gets off the field quickly. This week, we're going to see an offense that has scored 20 or more points in every single game this season, except for week one, when they scored 19. Is that when they played Minnesota? Yes. There you go. Now they're playing another great defense. Or I should say great because we got exposed last week, but we are a good defense. So, well, that's, and that's going to be it. I mean, they found the end zone week after week. And while they turned the ball over more and more over the last few weeks, our failure to capitalize on turnovers in the last few weeks and chew up clock, it might result in just, it could, if we let this thing get out of hands, turn into a runaway loss for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, it's not happening. The only reason I think it's not happening, Chris, is because of what's going on on the other side of the ball. On defense, you look at the Saints. I mean, if there's any reason for Bills fans out there to have optimism about this game heading into it, it's because while the Saints have found their rushing attack, they've revived the ground game, and they're always dangerous in the passing game because of Drew Brees, there's some things here that we can exploit. I mean, you got to be optimistic about this. I mean, they play an aggressive 4-3 defense, and I think that their current personnel and the the way they play – it's going to create matchups for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, first and foremost, the Saints have made a lot of hay over the last few weeks. Yeah, I can't stress enough. 
four-game winning streak, and they've scored a shitload of points. No, six. Well, no, four straight since their bye. Like, oh. since their bye, they came out hot. Everyone thought they would cool down. Four straight games after their bye, and they've scored, what, the one game they scored over 50? I mean, oh, they, yeah, on the Lions they had 52. They are a team that can destroy you if you let them. But most of that's because they've limited all of the teams that they play through the air. During their six wins, they've allowed one quarterback to throw for more than 200 yards. And that one quarterback was Matt Stafford in a game that they were losing 31-14 to at halftime. So the Lions had no choice but to try to throw their way out of the hole. That game also involved five turnovers by the Lions, which explains why the scoreboard was so lopsided. On the ground, though, they're Jekyll and Hyde. Because, well, their, I mean, their rookie cornerback, Marshawn Lattimore, that, that's kid's ru- killing it. That's, that's really why they are 6-2. and two. No, it's not just him, though. No, they, no, no. They no, brought no. in two, Be- two other cornerbacks who it's, are all it's, playing it's their not, asses It's off. not just Lattimore. Lattimore is crushing on the defense while we just talked about it. Kamara is a rookie, is crushing it offensively, yep. and is why they've been able to rely on the rush in their six-game win streak. Mm-hmm. It's the rookies that they drafted this past April. So the thing is, though, when you look at that, yeah, the, right now the rookies are really helping them win these football games. But when you talk about on the ground, the story completely flips on its head. The Saints have given up an average of 113.5 yards per game, with three of those teams rushing for more than 130 yards. So they're winning games, but they are giving up a ton of games. Ton of ground yards. They are giving up nearly five yards. And here's one of the most, I guess, to me, important statistics. They are giving up nearly five yards per carry on first down. You know teams generally run on first down. I think, I think that everybody does. Pretty much e- every team if- likes to try to run on first down. It's how you call a balanced game. It's usually like the first play of the game for everyone is a rush. So the fact that you know a team is running at you and you still give up over five yards a carry, it puts them in the bottom five of the NFL in that category. And according to NFL.com, they're the fifth worst team in third down percentage, which makes sense. If you're giving up five yards or more on the first carry, that quarterback only has to go four or or fewer yards in order to get a first down. In two yeah. plays. De- depending on your field position, if you know you're getting six or seven yards on first down, that leaves you, you know, second, two and three. You can take a shot downfield. Absolutely. Knowing that you go for third and short. Look at that. I know football. <laughs> Look at you learning. Damn it, Chris, am I proud of you? Cheers. Now when you uh, you look at it, I can I can kind of see it. I mean, you look at what their defense is comprised of. They've put a lot of high draft picks. They picked Marshawn Lattimore at the top of the draft in to play cornerback. A couple years ago, it was Kenny Vaccaro, safety, who's their leading tackler. They've also brought in a couple other rookie cornerbacks and some other free agent cornerbacks who are playing really well as a unit. But you look at their front seven, they've got Manti Teo and A.J. Klein. Oh, dude, his girlfriend's hot as shit. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen a picture of her. I just heard she's hot as shit. So you've got Manti Teo and AJ Klein, who neither neither of whom, I mean, they're decent against the run, but in the passing game, and I guess even really against the run, they're, neither of them are overwhelmingly great. None of them are proven commodities. 
I've never Chris, have you ever heard anyone go, Oh damn it, we gotta play Manti Teo this week? No. No. In fact, I forgot he was on the Saints until this week. And outside of Sheldon Rankins, who's a former first round draft pick, their defensive tackles, none of them are household names. And Sheldon Rankins isn't even that good. So ultimately what you're left with is a defense that up the middle isn't strong, considering they run a four three scheme. They're going to be rushing four against our five, maybe putting a linebacker near the line of scrimmage, but what is that going to do? Now, last week, the Jets made a lot of hay against us by putting five men on five offensive linemen and forcing every one of our offensive linemen to basically block a man by himself, and we struggled mightily. The problem for the Saints is they just don't have the personnel to do that. So if if they try to replicate what the Jets did to us last week, I don't see that being successful just because they don't have the personnel to pull it off. That's right. They don't have Deron Lee as a linebacker. (laughs) No, no one should have Deron Lee as a linebacker. Deron Lee should be taking, he should be on roller skates at Sonic taking people's orders. Considering the weaknesses of their defense and the strength of our rushing attack when it's at its best, I feel like the Saints will have no choice but to play a lot of base defense in hopes of stopping the run. Now, last week, the Jets really tried to bring it to us, and they succeeded as far as running the ball goes, both with Tyrod Taylor and with LaShawn McCoy. Like I said, I just don't think they have the personnel to pull off the same type of defensive attack. They don't. So, in summary, if I was going to attack the defense of the New Orleans Saints, I'd go back to the well. What's, what's, what's kept me in business so far this season? Force them to commit to playing base defense. You know, there's some games where I'd say, hey, put more wide receivers out there, spread the box, then try to run. This isn't one of those games because their defensive backs are the talent of their defense. Instead, what I want to do is I want to play a lot of two tight end sets and I want to call a lot of early runs from those two tight end sets. O'Leary and Clay have both proven that they can be effective not only in the running game, but also in the passing game. They can get separation versus linebackers off play action and on those rollout passes. I mean, think about it. Some of the biggest passes that O'Leary and Clay have caught this season come on rollouts, you know, bootlegs, design bootlegs, and play action passing. I specifically think of the uh, Clay catch against Atlanta. Exactly. Mostly because I hate Atlanta. So if you can get them to force them to put linebackers on the field and then play action pass and pass to your tight ends and work that intermediate area of the field, Work those guys. Don't let the cornerbacks be the one that beats you in this game. Rely on that because you're going to keep them guessing because they're going to have no choice if you come out in large packages like that to commit to stopping the run. And if they stop and they try to take away your tight ends, well, that's when you pound them with LaShawn McCoy. You bring in Mike Tolbert. You rotate the two of them evenly throughout the course of this game. That's how you're going to find ways to move the football against this defense and keep their offense on the sideline. I mean, that's, that's it in a nutshell. So, Chris, prediction. What do you think? Where do you think we end up come 420 on Sunday? With a blunt in my hand. <laughs> Not really. I've never done that, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. We're undefeated at home. I'm not, I can't, I can't pick us, I can't pick against us at home. Bills are going to win this football game. Uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to say it's going to be like low scoring. I'm going to say we win 20 to 16. I've only picked against the Buffalo Bills once this season. Falcons. 
and I paid for it. Yeah, and a Seagram's. I'm going to once again, I'm going to double down. And I'm going to say that for as good as our defense may be, as turnover happy as they may be, and for all of the silver linings that our offense may have, you're still trusting that offensive line that I saw last Thursday. And unless they show, they they need to show me that they can be consistent, that they can bring intensity like that Oakland game week after week after week. And I just don't see it. So I'm going to call it a close loss, but I'm calling the Saints, and I'm going to call it 23-17. to 17. All right, there we go. That's our Seagram's bet. <laughs> that is our Seagram's bet for the week, folks. I think we're going to win. You heard it here. I think we're going to win. I believe in, in uh, Greg Trelone's stats. I don't think Breeze is going to be is going to be able to to play here. And, I don't know. And, I just and look at all this. It starts with you because you will be there. <laughs> the twelfth man, baby. We will be out there loud and proud. Anybody else out there? Listen to the podcast. You want to come have a beer? Fifty three thirty Big Tree Road. That's where you can find the Rock Power Report podcast tailgate. <laughs> I'm going to be there slugging beers, playing, getting food going. It's going to be a great time. Well, Stop how about by, this? say how about, hi. How about this? What's on your menu? Oh, for menu, it's burgers, stuffed hot peppers. I've got the uh, blue and red shots flowing. So like I said, stop by, say hi, have a beer. It's going to be a great time. Guys, don't forget to tune in on Saturday nights to our Facebook Live and Twitter Live show. What time are we doing that? We're going to do it at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good, I'll be there. It's going to be fantastic. And you can tune in, find out how you can win $20 in free pizza from Wise Guys Pizzeria, the official pizzeria of the Rock Pile Report podcast. Guys, we got to get the hell out of here. Big thank you to the Brooks family and their delicious pepper sauces. Thank you so much. Guys, I'm going to put a link to their shop in the bio. we got to get out of here, though. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.